0: So today we're looking at things from a different perspective in order to see the true meaning. And so our main point for today is this, God's plan of salvation has been set in place from the very beginning. Now we're only in Genesis 3, but we're going to see the seeds of the gospel right here. Now at Edgewood, we stand on the word of God and the promises found in scripture We always preach the gospel and the good news uh, and use the word here, but we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture today, so be ready. But let me go ahead and start in prayer, and then we'll look to Genesis 3. God, thanks so much for this day. Thank you for this time together. This is a day you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. God, I pray that you would help us to understand your word today. Help us to see the true meaning. Help us not to miss it. God, I pray that you would... Uh, Help us to understand your word. I pray that you would give me your words by your spirit. And Lord, you'd help us to have receptive ears and hearts today. Lord, I pray that you would be with those that uh, aren't here today. Maybe they're viewing online or watching later. God, I pray that you'd be with them wherever they are. Lord, that they would dive deep into your word today to truly understand it and know what it means. God, I pray that you would help us to worship you and spirit and in truth, and everything we do today would be to your honor and glory. In your name we pray, amen. So last week in Genesis 3, Pastor Brian brought us through verses 11 through 13. Now, we've been breaking down Genesis 3 in just a few verses at a time because they're so chock full of good things, and last week talking about the blame game. So basically, after Adam and Eve sinned, this is what happened. It says, he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so, the man here, Adam, not only blames the woman, but he also blames who? He blames God. And then the woman blames the serpent. Now because of that and what the serpent had done, in this next passage which is our text for today in verses 14 and 15, we're going to see what God says to the enemy. So in Genesis three fourteen 14 to 15, this is what it said. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now if you're just reading this to get through it, you might just say, Huh, that's interesting, and move on. But there are a lot of questions that come from these verses right here. Questions like this. What does the curse mean for Satan? Who is his offspring? Who is the woman's offspring? Who is he referring to in verse 15? And what is the true meaning behind bruised heads and bruised heels? So again, hidden here we have the gospel in seed form. So let's break this down. This is the first time we see God addressing the enemy, but it won't be the last. So basically, Satan is seeking vengeance on God and Adam and Eve for being cast out of his presence in heaven. So number one, Satan is cursed by God above all living things. And curse here means an invocation of evil or injury against one's enemies. There's no mercy here for Satan. There will be no second chance. There will be no redemption. We know in 1 John 3, 8, it says the devil has been sinning since the very beginning. And this is what started it all for him. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. We know Satan was once an angel, Lucifer, who was cast out of heaven. Why? Let's read these verses. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who lay the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You hear I over and over and over again here. Because of pride, Satan was cast down. And not just himself, but others followed with him. Ezekiel twenty eight seventeen says this. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. So the serpent here has been possessed, it's lent its body to Satan. And the serpent is seen, I would say, for many with horror and with fear. A lot of people don't like snakes. Now I know some of you do, some of you have them as pets here, and I know that's kind of different, that's not my thing, but but fear of snakes, it's a a real thing. I looked it up, Ophidiophobia. You know, I'm more of an arachnophobia kind of guy, but... uh, when you think about snakes around here, maybe they don't seem all that bad. You don't see a lot of poisonous ones around this area, but I grew up in the southeast, and if you've ever lived out west in those kinds of places, they're definitely more devious than around here. Think of a couple examples of this, and when we first got our dog when I was a, a teenager, a little 12-pound Boston Terrier. My dad was taking this, uh, this dog for a walk, and it was about dusk time, and he brought the dog back into the yard, and it was too dark for him to see, but there was a copperhead in the front yard, and leaped up and bit my dog right in the face. Now, as bad as that was, it kept my dad from getting bit, and the dog barely made it out alive from that. Now, the the snake wasn't so lucky. We took care of the snake. (laughs) But just kind of crazy around that area there in Alabama, a few years ago, my parents actually had somehow a bunch of baby snakes ended up in their bathroom. I don't want to know how they got there. But yeah, they're more devious in other places. And even for strong and adventurous men, it can be a great fear. Just ask Indiana Jones. (laughs) He hates snakes. But it says this, On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now there's debate here over if... The serpent had appendages before and now he's lost them and he has to slither on the ground. We don't know if that's literal or figurative or, you know, more symbolic. But think about the curse and what this means for the serpent. Isaiah sixty-five twenty-five says this, The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. So thinking about future animals, perhaps could the curse be lifted from other animals, but... Not the serpent or the snake. Think about Micah 7.17. The nations that war against God says, They shall lick the dust like the serpent. This is clearly not a good thing. This is talking about enemies that have been defeated by God. And then we come to verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, Enmity here means hostility or animosity. There will be constant conflict between these offsprings. So number one, Satan is cursed. And number two, the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman will be at war. So your offspring, talking about Satan's offspring here. Who, who is that? What is that referring to? Well, I would say in part that's, that's demons. Those are fallen angels, evil spirits, but also wicked men. Think about, yes, we all have sinful hearts and there's darkness there. We must be redeemed. But think about wicked men who only want to harm others. They steal and kill and destroy, just like Satan. This started with Cain who murdered his brother Abel. It continues throughout history on to this day. You think of the world today. So much evil and so much suffering at the hands of men. You think about the results of the fall and what that means for our world, means for us personally, our own bodies, our own bodies break down. We see war going on on the other side of the world. We see bad things happening. Now, it's more of our focus next week with the results of the fall, but man, we we feel this, right? I'm just going to be honest with you, man. Our family's been going through a lot lately with sickness the last few weeks, and discouragement and disappointments, and just hearing about people who have passed away, it seems like they should have before their time. We feel the results of the fall all the time in our bodies and in the world. But not only that on one side, but also there's the spiritual warfare going on. There's demons attacking and angels fighting them, and we can't see that, but we see that in Scripture, know that's happening but with that spiritual warfare taking place, does it ever feel like to you that life seems to get harder sometimes? The more you seek to do good, the more you seek to do what 's right that 's how you know that there 's someone against you there is an enemy that we have, but then we see her offspring Now this is talking apart again about future mankind. every one that has ever lived will come from eve, but it 's also specific. And this is what gives us hope today. It uses the word he. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Well, first off, why this order here? Well, a head wound is more fatal than a heel wound, so perhaps the triumph outweighs the tragedy. Therefore, it's being shared first. And he, the seed of the woman, will conquer the seed of the serpent. So again, back to our main point, God's plan of salvation has been set in place from the very beginning. And this is what's known as the proto-evangelium or the first gospel. It was so funny last night. This is actually a, a Greek word and I misspoke and said it's a Latin word. And after the service, there was actually a Greek speaking couple in the service that came up to me and were like, Listen, the sermon was great and everything, but we just wanted you to know this. You know, no hard feelings or anything, but that's a Greek word. And I'm like, Okay, my bad. <laughs> How many times do you have someone who's speaking Greek in here? You know, correct you. But that was uh, just so interesting to hear that. But it means the first gospel. So, number one, Satan is cursed. Number two, the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman will be at war. But number three, the triumph of the gospel outweighs the tragedy of the fall. The triumph of the gospel outweighs the tragedy of the fall. So get this, even Jewish historians believe this is the most natural and logical explanation of these verses that's pointing to a future Messiah. One commentary writes this, The Proto-Evangelium makes its debut as a sentence passed on the enemy Not a direct promise to man. For redemption is about God's rule as much about man's need. The prospect of struggle, suffering, and human triumph is clear enough, but only the New Testament will unmask the figure of Satan behind the serpent. And so we see these New Testament verses. Paul writes in Romans 16, 20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 1 John 3, 8b, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Revelation 12 9, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. In Revelation 20:10, what becomes of him? We know this one day. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. He will see his demise one day. And then the seed of the woman, the future Messiah. Isaiah prophesied of in verse seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign: behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And this was fulfilled in Galatians four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So let's look more closely at these phrases again. He shall bruise your head. Another commentary says this, the serpent's poison is lodged in its head and a bruise on that part is fatal. Thus fatal shall be the stroke which Satan shall receive from Christ. Though it is probable he did not at first understand the nature and extent of his doom. And you shall bruise his heel. The serpent wounds the heel that crushes him and so Satan would be permitted to afflict the humanity of Jesus Christ and bring suffering and persecution on his people. But a bruised heel, such an interesting way to think about it. But some commentators even think this is being very specific to Jesus on the cross. Ultimately, no, a bruised heel isn't fatal. We know Jesus would die but rise again. But that bruised heel, could that even be referring to when Jesus was on the cross, being nailed to the cross, his hands and his feet? But then also think about when he would push up on the cross to breathe, perhaps his heel was being bruised on the cross itself. So again, God's plan of salvation has been set in place from the very beginning. And this is the gospel. Yes, Jesus, the Son of God, will be crucified, but this would be Satan's undoing. As Jesus' resurrection from the dead would conquer sin and death, making a way of salvation and the beginning of the end of Satan. Colossians 2.15, Paul writes, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And then Paul and Romans, we know this as the Romans road. I'm going to jump around here a lot, but read a good bit of it. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because of all sin. There it is, Adam. That sin was passed on, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God showed his love for us, and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then this, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? So this Jesus, our Savior, is Lord the creator and sustainer of all things. We continue to see this throughout the New Testament. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, uh, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have received his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John writes that. Paul writes this, Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is currently holding all things together. If God ceased to exist, everything would fall apart. And he is the head of the body the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then another passage, Hebrews So this is where it comes to us. We must ask ourselves this question. Each of us must ask this question. Is Jesus Savior and Lord in your life? We love the idea of Jesus being our Savior, saving us from our sins, giving us hope and giving us a future in him, with him in heaven. But to make him Lord, master of our lives, giving him everything. We like to hold things some back for ourselves, but if Jesus is Lord, he's Lord of all everything in your life. So how do we apply this, what we've heard today? Well, first off, we have to recognize the enemy's strategy first off. The fall is real and affects us all. Right now, you might be feeling down and discouraged because of something you're going through physically or something in your family or just seeing the state of the world around you. But there's also this spiritual warfare going around us. The only power that Satan has in our lives, he can put seeds of doubt and he can deceive us. So are you down and discouraged? Are you you doubting or being deceived? We have to recognize that that's what Satan uses in our lives to bring us down and to turn us away from God. So we have to recognize that. But number two, hold on to hope and believe the gospel. Hold on to hope and believe the gospel. This gospel that was prophesied from the very beginning that we just heard, and has the power to save us now. And number three, no scripture. no scripture. Read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it, know it. Just like today, we it's good to read. We need to read God's word, but we have to study it to really know it and have it so ingrained in us that it overflows and we just can do nothing but share that with other people around us. So back to that main point, God's plan of salvation has been set in place from the very beginning. And you might be thinking we're here at the end of the message. We're talking about the action steps. Well, there's more to go, so buckle up. So let's think about going back to the beginning, the things that are hidden in plain sight. So we have this first gospel that we're talking about. And this is just the first of many glimpses and hundreds of prophecies of the coming Messiah. There's this incredible story in Luke 24, 25 through 27. One of my favorites, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, maybe you know this story. This is after his resurrection and he comes out there on the road and appears to Cleopas and another disciple, but he hides his identity so that they don't know it's him. And he starts asking them these questions about things that have been going on lately. And they're looking at Jesus like, who is this guy? Has he been under a rock? Like, how does he not know about this Jesus who was crucified and all these things that have been taking place? And their hope that he was the Messiah, but they had doubts. But then all of a sudden they were talking about there were rumors that this Jesus rose from the dead. And then Jesus can't take any more of it and finally says, Then he said to them, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You ever wonder what he might have said to them? That's a lot, right? So you think about some of these appearances of Jesus in physical form or spiritual form, Some of these might be known as a Theophany or Christophany, him revealing himself throughout Scripture. So we want to talk about this and end with this today, that Jesus throughout Scripture beginning in Genesis, this is the seed who would conquer Satan. We saw that here in 3:15. But if we take this further. And what would Jesus have said to them about the rest of the books of the Bible? A few years ago at the Cross Conference, I was at a missions conference for young adults. One of the speakers went through this passage, and then he took us through every book of the Bible and what Jesus might have said about himself from those passages. And it completely blew me away. And I said, someday I'm going to have to share that in a message with others. So that's what we're going to do right now. So, imagine it like this, what he might have told them beginning in Genesis. Perhaps he said something like this, I was the word of God, creator of the heavens and the earth. In Exodus, I was the Passover lamb whose blood was sprinkled on the doorpost of your heart so you could escape the bonds of slavery. In Leviticus, I was the temple, the place, the holy place where you would meet with God. In Numbers, I was your ever-present God, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, I was that coming prophet that was going to be greater than Moses. In Joshua, I was the conquering warrior who would lead you victoriously into the promised land and judges i was the unlikely savior who would rise from weakness in order to rescue you and ruth i was your kinsman redeemer and first and second samuel i was your humble shepherd king who would rush out to face the giants all by myself and first and second kings i was your righteous ruler and first and second chronicles i was the restorer of the kingdom and ezra i was a faithful scribe In Nehemiah, I was the rebuilder of the walls. In Esther, I was your advocate in the throne room that was risking my life to save yours. In Job, I was your living redeemer. In Psalms, I was the one who hears your cries. In Proverbs, I was the wisdom personified. In Ecclesiastes, I was the meaning and the magnus. In Song of Solomon, I was your lover and your bridegroom. In Isaiah, I was the son that would be born to you who would be called wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the one who would be wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities so that you could be healed. In Jeremiah, I was a spirit that writes God's laws on your heart. In Lamentations, I was the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, I was the river of life that was bringing healing to the nations. In Daniel, I was a fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, I was the ever faithful husband who was pursuing his ever unfaithful bride. In Joel, I was the restorer of all that the locusts had eaten. In Amos, I was your burden bearer. In Obadiah, I was the judge of all the earth. In Jonah, I was the prophet that was cast into the storm so that you could be brought in. In Micah, I was the everlasting ruler who would be born to you in Bethlehem. And Nahum, I was avenger of God's elect. And Habakkuk, I was your reason to rejoice, even though your fields were empty. And Zephaniah, I was the great reformer. And Haggai, I was the cleansing fountain. And Zechariah, I was the pure son, whom every eye on earth would one day behold. And Malachi, I was the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. Amen. But we're not done. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we know the Bible... Doesn't stop there. Jesus wasn't just promised, he came. In Matthew, we saw him as the king of the Jews. In Mark, we saw him as the son of God. In Luke, we saw him as the Savior that was born in the city of David, Christ the Lord. In John, he was the Word made flesh, dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. In Acts, he was the Christ risen Lord that was proclaiming salvation to the nations. In Romans, he was the justifier. In First and 2 Corinthians, he was the spirit at work in the churches. In Galatians, he was the righteousness imputed to us by faith. In Ephesians, he was our divine armor. In Philippians, he is the God who meets our every need. In Colossians, he is the firstborn over all creation. In First and Second Thessalonians, he we see him descending from heaven to meet his people in the clouds with a shout. In First and Second Timothy, he is the one mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is our faithful pastor. In Philemon, he is our redeemer who restores us to service. In Hebrews, he is our great high priest and James he is the life and our faith and first and second peter he is our living cornerstone and first and second third john he is our righteous advocate who stands by the father father pleading his righteousness in our place and jude he is our god our savior the one who presents us faultless in his presence with great joy and a revelation he is the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end the first and the last the land that was slain before the foundations of the world the king of kings and the lord of lords amen, amen. So when we hear that, imagine what that might have been like for them. Man, that should cause us to worship. That should cause us to worship. So maybe you're sitting here today and that's, man, just what you want to do. Perhaps you're sitting here and, man, you're thinking, "I, I need to repent and believe the gospel. I've never actually believed this gospel. I've never seen these connections. I didn't understand who Jesus really is. Maybe you've made Jesus your Savior, but perhaps you've held some things back and you didn't completely give them over and make him your Lord. Do you need an awakening in your life today? About 10 months ago, I, I preached a sermon here on Youth Weekend and it was on revival from Acts 2. And I started that day with an illustration about the 1970 Asbury revival and what God had done then. And talked about how 50 years later I asked this question, is that even possible today? And look what God's doing in the world today. The spirit of God is blowing. There's revival taking place in college campuses and in churches. There's movies being made about revival. Yes, the world is broken and fallen. There's spiritual warfare going on. But we see God's hand working and moving today. So do you need revival in your life and in your heart? Do you need to be awakened today? We're going to end today with a song and give you an opportunity to worship God today. So again, what do you need to do as a response to God's word? Do you need to worship? Do you need to repent and believe the gospel? Do you need to make Jesus not only Savior but your Lord? Do you need to be awakened? So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the band to come up And then we're going to take some time to worship together. But here in a few minutes, if if you want to talk to me or someone else up front, we would love to, to pray with you and to help you and answer your questions. But just be available.